0: Hello and welcome to the How The Fuck podcast, where you can learn marketing from the experience of marketing leaders. This week, I had the pleasure of interviewing Johnny Plynn, the co-founder of Pouch. Pouch is a browser extension that automatically applies voucher codes at checkout, reducing basket abandonment for brands and finding the best deal for users. Pouch works with most of the largest UK brands and has, has around 150 to 175,000 weekly active users. In this interview, we discuss how Pouch made this growth happen, how they got into over a hundred large publications in the UK, their appearance on Dragon's Den, that's the UK versions of Shark Tank, their skyrocketing visitor count and user conversions after appearing on the show, dealing with churn and reaching product market fit, creating wow factor customer experiences to reduce churn and the acquisition of Pouch 18 months ago and the synergies that that has brought to the team. This is such an exciting interview and the second one we've done with Dragon's Den founders. They've always got an interesting story to tell. So I hope you enjoy it. Hey Johnny, please can you give me a 60 second pitch of
1: Pouch? Sure. So Pouch is a free to download browser extension that automatically sources all the best available voucher codes and presents them to you at the checkout page. And you can apply all the codes automatically in one click. So you never need to search for a voucher code again. The idea came from the fact that the deal space in the UK was a very broken user journey, that to find these voucher codes, you had to you know, search on Google and see a listing of you know, a few hundred different voucher code sites, none of them with a very good brand or reputation. And the idea was that if you can take all this content and put it in one place for users, you can build a loyal user base of discount savvy people uh, that will use you rather than a voucher code website. And because you can apply the codes automatically, it creates a much better user experience too. Okay, so what's in it for, say, the companies that you work for? Or if it's completely free, how do you make money? So uh, we monetize via affiliate marketing, which basically means that uh, anytime one of our codes is used or someone attempts to use Pouch to to make a purchase, we are paid a commission by the retailer. And what's in it for them? Well, retailers have a big problem of shopping cart abandonment meaning that once a user actually gets to the checkout page, they don't complete their purchase. And there's a number of reasons for this. For example, they think the postage and packaging is too expensive added to the price of the good or they're browsing around and they don't actually want to complete the purchase yet They're just kind of more window shopping but one of the biggest reasons that people abandoned carts is actually to go and search for a voucher code so in kind of the 2008 2009 recession these voucher code websites became very popular uh, they grew a lot and retailers started retailers started relying on them to drive traffic And now come to, you know, 2016, when we started Pouch, it became kind of ingrained in the consumer shopping journey that you can leave the basket and go and find a a voucher code and, and come back. But in fact, a lot of these codes are, you know, invalid or expired or just not applicable to your basket. So by working with Pouch, retailers keep the user on site. The, the user doesn't abandon the search for a code because they trust pouch will either have the best code or trust that if pouch says there's no code available, there isn't. And they'd just be wasting their time, meaning that we convert the users for the retailer, meaning that, you know, they increase the number of sales, reduce shopping cart abandonment and overall improve the user journey. Now, you know, we had to kind of sell this into retailers, show them that the product worked show them the pitch deck, show them the empirical data. It wasn't kind of as simple as saying, hey, yeah, you should work with us. There, there was like a quite a big sales process and actually getting them on board. And who is it you work with in the companies that you work with? Is it the marketing department? Is it part of a marketing strategy to work with you? Yeah, it is. So we, we sit within affiliate marketing, which is like one of the, I guess, the tentacles of general digital marketing. And we work within a, a cost per acquisition model. So we only get paid a commission once the sale is completed meaning that it's a very safe way to run digital marketing. So Argos will only pay Poucher commission once has actually converted a sale, unlike display advertising or Facebook advertising or advertising on podcasts or influencer marketing when you're paying based on a number of views or number of visits. Affiliate marketing, you're only paying when an action is completed, so it's much safer for the retailers.
0: Cool. And I'm one of those people, definitely, who goes and looks on for a voucher every time, just in case it's there. Do you think, I mean, recently, my experience of those codes websites are that they just don't work anymore. Like they'll have some kind of dodgy or just normal deal that doesn't work very well, or is just a standard sale that you
1: can get anyway. Why is it that you think that's happening? There's reasons for why that content is so poor, right? So there are some very reputable voucher code websites out there. The issue is that there's an expectation from the consumer that they think they're getting a code, that there's a code available every time they, sh- they shop, when realistically there isn't. There's going to be codes for new customers, maybe codes during Black Friday or codes during payday. The rest of the time, it's like sales and deals. And, you know, the, the good voucher code sites, of which there are, there are a handful, You know, they are all competing on SEO. So if they rank number one for the search term Argos voucher code, they're gonna get the majority of the traffic for that term and they're gonna earn the commissions. And now, you know, the voucher code industry in the UK you know, you're talking multiple tens or even hundreds of millions of pounds in, in in commissions that are being paid out by these advertisers. So when there isn't a code available to maintain the SEO rankings, these voucher code sites need to produce content to put on the site, which is why you'll search for Argos voucher code. See, it says 20% off, but really it's just a link to the Argos 20% off sale page that you could have found yourself. And that's what consumers get frustrated with. But the voucher code sites don't have a brand with which they can communicate else, like, like otherwise to the user. They are just relying on that SEO traffic. Mm-hmm. The difference between Pouch and those voucher code sites is, as an extension, we don't have any SEO dependency. We need to acquire users and then maintain those users and stop them churning. But... You know, we don't rank in Google for my protein voucher code. We just try and get a user to download the extension. And then the expectation is they're never going to search for a voucher code again anyway, because, because they have pouch. So that's why the user experience of those main voucher code websites isn't as good. Mm -hmm. And why pouch was able to kind of enter the UK market and and get some traction. Definitely.
0: So what are your Mm -hmm. metrics
1: at the moment? How are you doing in terms of users and are they mainly in the UK? So we started in the UK. In 2016, I'll give you kind of like high, high level. We in the UK in kind of 2016 and we've kind of grown from them, had some, some ups and downs in terms of getting lots of users, you know, from our stint on Dragon's Den and then churning lots of users as well. But right now we're sitting at around 150 to 175,000 weekly active users. So that's, you know, unlike an app where if someone opens the app once a month, they, they count them as an active user as an extension. We're like very, I guess, harsher in our in our own measurement of kpis where an active user for us is someone that's actually engaged in the extension that week so they are like a really active user base i'm not sure what the numbers were if we kind of measured active users on the others but you know you're looking closer probably like to 250,000 or something like that but we you know monitor our kpis quite strictly and we we'd rather have it strict and be honest about what an active user is than kind of um have a vanity metric in there I mean, at least you want to be honest, internally, I suppose. Absolutely. And externally too, like it's super important. So yeah, started in the UK, grew in the UK, but now expanding into Germany as well with our parent company, Global Savings Group. So Pouch was actually acquired as a limited company at the start of 2019, but it still runs as an independent product to to this day. So it, after we were acquired, it didn't make any difference to to our users. They didn't know we were owned by another company, but... That acquisition allowed us to invest more in the mar- more in marketing, gave us bigger budgets, improved the content we had in the extension and introduced us to new partnerships as well. So it just made it over- overall better for-, for those users.
0: Definitely. And I'm going to ask you a bit more about that acquisition later. But before then, I'd love to know, like, so you started in 2016, what were the big moments that you would say that made your success as a company? What were the big points of impact along the way?
1: Well, I would say the first one was something where, that, where, that we failed at which was if you looked at the the kind of structure of the team we had three three co-founders so driving the business forward myself I'm an accountant um by profession so doing finance operations raising rounds doing analytics all the rest we had ben who worked in affiliate marketing who was kind of responsible for retailer relationships and you had vic who's a like a very experienced full stack developer who was our CTO we didn't actually have any b2c marketing experience Mm -hmm. And at the start, we thought we could outsource that skill set. So we hired an agency, we paid uh, for Facebook ads, we paid another kind of student group to do a big campaign with them. We spent about 15 grand on two separate campaigns, which was quite a lot of our seed round. And they both totally flopped because we we got taken for a ride effectively because we just didn't know what we were doing. And after that happened, you know, we took upon ourselves to say, we can't have that happen again. We need to bring, we need to learn these skills ourselves. We can't always be relying on partners because we just spend the whole time doing like partner, vendor, like looking at proposals and stuff like we need to bring this in-house. So after those two like flopped campaigns, we made sure we did like self-training courses and brought that kind of marketing skill in-house. So that was really important for us to, you know, know what we were doing to a degree ourselves. But the kind of main thing that gave us our our boost was going on Dragon's Den. So in August 2017, we appeared on season 15 of Dragon's Den and we got all five offers for the product, which was only the third time in 15 years that that happened. So it was like a massive coup for us in terms of one, like getting a bit of satisfaction that, you know, all of these different some very successful pitches have been through dragons. You know, we had done as, as, as well as possible on, on this pitch. So it was a great kind of feeling there, but also from a marketing perspective, we knew we were going to get 2 million odd people hearing about our product for 15 minutes and visiting our website. You hear all these stories about, you know, digital products that go on Dragons Den and like can't deal with the website traffic. Fortunately, we were able to, and I think, you know, the the night of the show that the show aired, we we live streamed our analytics to a few startup groups and people loved it. And we went, you know, from no traffic on the site to 40,000 hits a second. And we grew from about 2000 to maybe 40,000 users over the course of a few days. And that was the big shot in the arm for us, for sure.
0: That's crazy. I can imagine going from zero to 40,000 hits and, you know, and maintaining that for so long would be actually crazy to see. Um, so how was it that you got on Dragon's Den? Like, was it something you applied for or yeah, how did it work?
1: It was always something I wanted to do, but I guess like best laid plans of mice and men, you never really know when these things are going to happen. We were on an accelerator program called mass challenge, which was, they defined it as an impact accelerator. So they took on businesses that they thought could make a difference in the world and like, whilst we were definitely a for profit business. I guess they thought any tool that helps people save time and money can only be a good thing, especially if it's free. Yes. So we got into this accelerator, there were 1800 applications, hundred went through the program and there were 10 winners of which we were one of them. And from that accelerator program, that win, we got some pretty nice PR uh, because there was a big kind of demo day that a lot of press and, and you know, startup press got invited to. We ended up getting in Forbes and startups of Coda UK and a few other publications. So, yeah, the PR game was pretty strong for us mm-hmm. quite early on. I guess, just because we had a product that resonated and a user story that really resonated. Oh, have you ever been frustrated searching for voucher codes? Well, this site takes all the hassle away for you, or this extension takes all the hassle away for you. So, yeah, was pretty hot on the PR from the beginning. And from that PR, I guess one of the Dragons then research team, like with X Factor, they look for good companies and bad companies to go on the show. We weren't sure which category we fitted into, but I, I hope one of the good ones, they reached out and said, would you like to apply? And the only difference was our application got a bit fast-tracked, but we still had to do, you know, I think it was like a five-stage, five-stage application ending up with a, a mock pitch to producers at the BBC White City studios. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we started the application mid-Feb and I think we got confirmed we're going go on the show beginning of April. So yeah, pretty long process to be honest, but... Yeah. absolutely worth it
0: that's cool you're the second person i've talked to was on dragon's
1: den i think um oh, who was the other one it was finn from pastor evangelist so we work with them in an affiliate marketing model so they're yeah. one of our advertisers yeah so how does that oh as in so they would have discounts through pouch if you had pouch and went on pastor evangelist you would see codes to get you know money off your first second and third purchases
0: uh, cool. It sounds like you had a better a better run than them. Because I know Finn, Finn was saying exactly the same. Like it was super valuable in terms of like viewers and like setting themselves as a brand and, and everything. But they had the kind of the opposite in terms of like five rejections rather than five successes.
1: Yeah, that that must have been tough. But they just raised a big Series A, I think I saw. So they're clearly doing yep. all right.
0: Yeah, definitely the dragon's loss in this case. So you said, you like I noticed from your website and, you know, we've talked before about it. But yeah, you seem to have done really, really well on the PR side of things. What is it that you think has led to that success? How do you approach PR? Is it something that you think your product naturally lends itself to an interesting story? Or did you spend a long time kind of emailing journalists and building up that kind of PR profile?
1: I think after we saw how to get into one or two articles, you were able to get into others. And there's, I can't remember what the term in PR is, but there's a like a method of upselling like to bigger and bigger publications. So you get a story into a small publication like startup.co.uk and then you can reach out to kind of Metro or Daily Mail and say, Hey, look at this company profiled here. Would you like to write about them? And then you can like get up into maybe like the BBCs. So we basically, I'm just trying to, trying to think this through. One of our investors introduced us to an old friend of him who did work in PR who kind of gave us some tips of, of, you know, how to do it. And what he said was journalists are fundamentally lazy mm-hmm. and that if you can write the story for them, it's, you know, much better. Mm-hmm. So we kind of wrote out, wrote out kind of the pouch story in a paragraph of why it would be useful and why people would like to use it. Then I think we like scraped Twitter for handles and email addresses and then guest email addresses and, you know, contacted people through LinkedIn and all the rest and like hustled, hustled to get the contacts and then and then wrote to them and some of them picked it up and some of them didn't. We did some other quite crazy things like, you know, money saving expert was always one of these places that we thought if we can really get into there, that could like give us a nice big boost, but they're really hard to contact. So I did like LinkedIn scouring, found the name of someone and then just thought I'm just going to go try, try and speak to him at the head office. So I got like, (laughs) I bought a box of like a big box of like 24 Krispy Kreme donuts (laughs) and put all the pouch marketing materials underneath the donuts and went to their office on a like a tuesday morning and said i'm here to speak to anthony and she was like do you have an appointment i was like no why are you here i was like i've got a gift for him she kind of saw what i was doing and he came down and he was like who are you he was like oh i'm johnny i connected you with linkedin on linkedin like i i i'm one of the co-founders of pouch. He was like, oh i've heard of pouch i've used that i was like really he's like yeah yeah i was like well i've got a gift for your team hoping we can just get a meeting with like someone appropriate to talk about like a partnership yeah and we did get those meetings they didn't go anywhere but it shows like you know you can hustle and it's just classic one of those stories that you read like in a book somewhere but we were like why don't we just try and do this let's just see what happens no no like a a lot of hustling okay so there was some hustling it wasn't just like
0: one of those products that everyone loves to talk about so every journalist writes about it
1: what else did we do we basically try to calculate the amount of money that a user could save in a month uh, using pouch. And then we were like, right, okay, maybe like 50 pounds. I can't remember the exact number, but let's call it 50 pounds. We went on Amazon and bought like chocolate money with (laughs) like, so little chocolate notes. And then we bought some like orange pouches with our logo on and got those made. And then hand wrote some cards to journalists because we thought handwritten may kind of get their attention and posted them to the offices where we thought they worked. Uh, we didn't know if they were still there, if it was the right office, saying, hey, you've got £50 of gold coins, of gold, like chocolate money in this pouch. Did you know that with the pouch browser extension, you could say that every month? Why don't you write an article about us? And we definitely got some articles from that, like, which, which wrote a piece on us. And, yeah, so in the end, yeah. like, I think we've been in over 100 publications. You know, we've been everything from BBC to Daily Mail to which to, you know, to, to, to all of them. And then around Black Friday as well, a lot of people, journalists want to write content for Black Friday and like every year we get mentioned because journalists just pull up like old articles or old lists and then they just rewrite stuff if it's still relevant. So a lot of hustling. We yeah. did hire a professional PR agency after Dragons then because just we, we wanted, we had other stuff to focus on and we wanted someone else to handle that influx and they did a, a, a great job. So yeah, shout out to Rich Lee from Radioactive PR.
0: Nice, cool. Sounds like you have such a creative way of getting people's attention, especially journalists. Do you think each one of those articles added a lot of value to Pouch? Like why was it that you wanted to go after
1: PR in the first place? I mean, lots of reasons. Initially, we thought there would be a good way of driving traffic to our website. Turns out that actually, no, uh, you don't get a huge boost from like a boost in users from these, but it just helped with credibility for the website when speaking to partners, when getting investors on board, when users check you out through other channels you know it's it's all it's all a loop right you can improve your credibility so when you run a facebook campaign and someone checks you out they have more trust in you and, and and all the rest so we just always thought it was quite important and also like we had no we had such little funding in 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 hindsight that this was just a free way that we could get some initial traffic yeah free in money not in time but yeah. yeah
0: i think it's um, a good point point. one of my friends in pr said similar about like as a, as a small company you just want to make sure that first page of google when you type in your name is full of articles from good places like the amount of credibility that provides
1: you we got quite lucky in that we don't know how we did it but pouch if you typed in pouch into google we we came up first so above like the dictionary definition of pouch which was amazing because yeah. that meant like when dragons then aired People were able to find us, so we've always been in a situation where if people do read about us or do hear about us, we are very easy to find. Yeah, it's quite a, um, it's quite a standard yeah. word, isn't it? I yeah, exactly. And you know, initially, because our website's joinpouch.com, not pouch, so yeah. we thought, how could we? You know, how could we rank? And we did hire some SEO consultants, and by hire, I mean a friend of mine who had started an agency just have a quick look at the <laughs> site, but you know, we, we, we didn't know how to get it. it. Just, it just happened one day quite early on in the business and it stayed since. So we're not sure how that happened, but we're, we're glad it did. we're very glad it did. Mm-hmm. When we started the company, we did contact the person that owned pouch.com to say like, we want to buy the domain. And if you type it in, it's redirects to like a, a purse website. And he said he wanted $2 million for it because it's yeah, yeah. a great name for a fintech. And we just said look, if we're ever able to afford $2 million for this domain, yeah. when we don't need to buy it, yeah. <laughs> we we'll give you five grand, and he said no. So we just stuck with Join Pouch.
0: That's an interesting story, actually. I I met someone about a year a year or two ago who owned a very kind of popular. It was like a one word dot com name that I won't mention, um, but he spent a good like two hundred fifty thousand pounds on getting that one email address, thinking that he's going to be you know, his company's going to be the next big one.
1: Wow, wow. My view on that is like. There's so many ways to build brand affinity. If someone wanted to start, you know, use the word, they could just stick an E on the end and have that as their domain and say we're a fintech and people would still believe it, you know?
0: Yeah, true. And there's a lot better ways as a startup to spend.
1: like. Oh, yeah. Everyone always says don't spend money on the domain at the start. There's just no, no need.
0: Okay, so you went on Dragon's Den, you received five offers. Can you tell me more about what it was like pitching to them? How did you prepare and you know, were they as kind of mean as they look on TV and harsh on you?
1: In terms of preparation, we really went all out because we knew we couldn't mess up this opportunity. We had like one investor, he had he put in 95K into the business. We'd raised 18 from family and friends to 113,000. And we, you know, and like I said, we, waste, we spent 15K on those two failed campaigns. So we like, it was our only shot. So we were like, let's go all in. We hired like speech coaches, pitch coaches to help us with our body language and oh, really? you know, everything like that. Spent like, yeah, yeah, we you know, went all in. Like every kind of smart person we knew we, we did, like we held fake like pictures with them. We were like, we're not going to have this not work out because we couldn't get a three minute presentation correct. Because mm-hmm. the, way it, the way it works, you do your three minute pitch and then they ask you questions. So like, let's just make sure we do the best three-minute pitch like we could possibly do from mm-hmm. every aspect of it, from body language to presentation to whatever it may be. And the nervy bit is if you stumble on that three-minute pitch, I knew we weren't going to forget our numbers. I knew like we could defend our points of the business model. It was just, can you nail that pitch? Unfortunately, we did. And then in terms of the questions, we'd had much harder questions asked to us in the past. So after we got that pitch bit over, it was like just speaking to, some smart investors that maybe didn't know that much about digital marketing. Because, you know, apart from the Moonpig founder, who wasn't, who had just left before our series, none of them had like built big digital businesses. So, yeah, it was, it was absolutely fine. I loved it actually.
0: That's cool. I'm interested to know how you approached having the screen time that you had. Like, did you, you know, put up a big advertising behind the screen and make the most of that kind of three minutes that you had? Yeah. Well, how did you, how do you think about it?
1: So we, we had a, so we didn't have obviously a physical product. So we, we had a big screen that we did a demo of the product on live for the dragons. And then we had our logo in the background. Mm -hmm. That was it. But that was enough. As soon as pouch got mentioned when the episode there, the analytics just took off.
0: It must've been crazy. So how did you, you know, think about this in advance? Presumably you knew that, you know, there was going to be this huge boost of traffic afterwards. How did you make sure that you took
1: advantage of that? Exactly. So we recorded the episode in May and it aired at the end of August. So we had quite a long time to prepare in that time, we raised a new round of funding, so we raised another 180 K and we rebuilt our website, rebuilt the extension, made some key hires, but the most important thing for us to build was like serverless architecture and AWS that kind of automatically scaled up and scaled down. And that's like all down to Vic, our CTO, like he's a genius. And he, he spent a long time building that. And Mm -hmm. I think we only had 0.01% of traffic couldn't get through to our website, Mm -hmm. um, which is a tiny, tiny amount. We still got some people on Twitter saying we can't get onto the site, but like after looking at it, like they they must be (laughs) the only people that couldn't get on and, you know, getting new retailers on board, making sure we had the right content. That was you know, we prepared in terms of getting the users on board. What we didn't prepare for was actually, or where we should have prepared for more is actually the analytics of measuring what the users were doing after. Because whilst we had that big shot in the arm, we also had a huge amount of churn afterwards. So, our, like, skill set in business, intelligence, or consumer analytics, whatever you want to say, we were not set up to do that. So, you know, if we ran a Facebook campaign targeting people from Dragon's Den, that like Dragon's Den on Facebook, for example, we weren't you know, we couldn't tell if the, the downloads we were seeing were actually from that Facebook campaign in outside of Facebook's platform. So it, we were relying on just the marketing platform, which is, you know, never a good thing to do. So the next like six months, we're just all about getting our consumer analytics in order because yeah, we didn't have a good idea of lifetime value. We didn't have a good idea this is initially after we figured it out in the end, but for, you know for the first six months after we didn't have a good, yeah, a good idea of lifetime value or like CPA to acquire users and then we got a handle on CPA, but we didn't know if those users were good users or not, so that whole analytics piece was a massive learning curve and still something we're trying to trying to improve and in two thousand and eighteen when we were pitching to VCS to raise another round of funding where we Definite weakness of ours was we, we had a good high level idea of what was going on, but when we started to drill down, when VCs wanted us to drill down, we just couldn't give them what they wanted in terms of like CLTV and all of those kind of core growth metrics that you need. Yeah. So I would say anyone that's like planning big growth marketing, like make sure your analytics are in order because I wish we had had a better idea of our like retention on the product back in 2017.
0: What would you say were the mistakes you
1: made converting that traffic into users? So we couldn't see if those users churned afterwards. So that would be the first thing like, okay, cool. We acquired about 40,000 people, but I, I still don't know how many like churned within the next two or three days. We saw n- new installs, but we weren't seeing, you know, have a, we didn't have an accurate picture of uninstalls. So we could have made some product changes to keep those users on board mm-hmm. one. And then two, we, our product manager at the time didn't test our Safari extension thoroughly enough. And there was a massive bug in it which basically caused a, like a JavaScript error on people's browsing. It's a it's stop them from browsing. Mm-hmm. So all the Safari, like Safari was much smaller than Chrome, but still like maybe two or 3000 people, like all those potential acquired users uninstalled us. And not only was it like, well, we quite like, we lost 3000 users that we could have gained. We had to spend so much time like debugging and working out what happened and reaching out to people and answering their questions. It was just like a massive waste of time so yeah those those two things the safari bug and um like the consumer analytics
0: so was it about this time that you started to realize that you weren't at product market fit Uh, and we discussed this before the before the interview started but how is it that that you knew that you weren't at product market fit Mm.
1: yeah so i think in hindsight we knew that at the time we thought the product was good enough but we had a lot of features and not a lot our core features in the extension or probably a bit too annoying for users at the time, so um, what I mean by that is we had a lot of like notifications within the extension that we needed to notify users that they had voucher codes available, but I think we were messaging them too much, so we had a lot of people uninstall saying like too many notifications from pouch. Which you know, we only started looking like taking customer feedback a while after Dragon's Den happened, mm-hmm. um, and also. The way that you applied codes back then was you had to click the code it automatically copy to your clipboard, but then you had to paste it yourself. Afterwards, we built a feature called auto apply where in one click and which we still have on the product now in one click. Pouch would apply all the codes for you, which is a much, much better user experience in terms of like customer delight in terms of wow like I clicked one button and I saved money that's crazy like I didn't have to do anything and also it meant that we could only we only need to have one notification at the checkout page rather than multiple along the shopping journey so it was a better I don't think the product we had at the den was product market fit in terms of it had too much churn whereas now we've got quite a low level of churn and much more kind of consumer engagement you know that does take time to learn
0: yeah and and having used pouch myself that was definitely a moment of like as you said delight having automatically applied many different types of vouchers just to test it for me and then i could go away and be like okay either it doesn't work or great i've got a i've got a discount here is that something that you would directly attribute to reduction in churn having that kind of product delight features
1: that that's a massive um, a massive reason for the improvement because one, we could only have one notification rather than like three or four in each shopping journey. Two, like that point of customer delight where you automatically save money. It's, it's at that point, like the, the user has a very positive emotion towards Pouch. So you can ask them to do other stuff, like share the fact you like Pouch on Facebook, um, sign up to an email newsletter, review us on Trustpilot or Chrome Store. So we were able to build some nice like customer loops based on that feature. Like you're never going to get a better time to ask when you've just saved someone money for doing nothing. So if you look at our like Trustpilot and Chrome store now, like the reviews are super, super positive. And that is because we only ask, like someone can go and review us whenever, but we only say, hey, give us a review. as all companies do when you feel or know that someone's had a good experience.
0: So I think getting to that sort of delight or that wow factor is such an important part of giving someone a great customer experience. I'm wondering, do you have any other tips that you can give us of improving customer experience for our, for our customers?
1: So for us, like, we know that if someone has a bad user experience with Pouch, the main action they're going to do is uninstall the extension. Mm. So on like a, so, yeah, so for us, if someone has a bad experience, their direct reaction is to uninstall Pouch because they're not happy. We, we created an uninstall survey. So why did you uninstall us? What were the reasons there? You know, is it worried about my data to, you know, not enough content, too many notifications. And we started to collect that data, which was really, really powerful for us because it enabled us to like work out what people liked and what people didn't, which we, before we just went on like the assumption of us being smart people in a room, which is always actually a very dumb thing to do. We just didn't ask the customer enough. Mm
0: -hmm. So we
1: were able to see there that people, whilst like Pouch is fully GDPR compliant, people were worried about their data, mainly because... know you're installing something onto your browser it's a natural thing to 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 fear so it was like well how do we create more trust with our users and make them feel more comfortable about installing us or keeping us installed on their browser yeah so you know running running small tests so we built the auto apply for a few websites which are the auto applies you know applying all codes all in one click and saw how people responded to their and then like, it's a big investment to build that feature. You've got to build it individually for each website. And we have it for like over a thousand websites. So it's a massive feature for us. Mm-hmm. So a big investment. So only making those investments when you've, you know, seen the users reacting to it in in, in a positive way. A-B split testing is, is great. I think people can get a bit too bogged down in it. Like our product is not on the level where we're looking for the 0.1% improvement. We're still looking, you know, for the five or 10% improvement that you can get. So when we got to that level, We'd move on to look at look at other features. But I hate using the word, but like a holistic point, a a holistic approach to thinking where are the touch points in our business. Like we have two. We have when someone is about to install the extension, so our home page, and when someone is using the extension. And just looking at those two things separately and thinking, right, where can we, where can we make those improvements?
0: Cool. I think it's a great answer, actually. And I think a good lesson in general just to be always experimenting, always getting close to your customer and always focusing on the touch points that you have with them and with the way you're interacting with your customer. I guess you're kind of lucky to actually have just two to focus on.
1: Yeah, I mean, our product is quite, our product is quite simple at the end of the day, which also means like it can be hard to make big, big improvements. Like we have, in my opinion, in the UK, nailed the experience of automatically saving money. Like it's, it's hard to improve now in like, it's hard to improve our core value now. So we need, like, we really have to push to think, how can we take our business to the next level? So that's, you know, creating brand new types of content types for pouch beyond vouchers, like points or loyalty schemes or cashback or moving into new markets where we, that problem hasn't been solved yet, or. I guess one of the hardest things is getting more retailers on board at this stage. Like there is a bit of saturation that we've hit. We can still do it, but like it's a big um, it's like yeah. a big sales effort.
0: So how are you finding the competitive landscape in the UK at the moment for this kind of thing? Is it honey that's your main competitor? Yeah.
1: So honey, honey have nailed it. They started in the US a few years before us. That you know, they raised fifty four million dollars in, in in total. Started in a similar way, like very slowly. But they yeah. In the UK, we're still better product, And I can say that objectively just from like customer feedback from merchants and users, mm-hmm. um, we just have more content in the UK, in the U S like their products, you know, really, really good. And that's why PayPal acquired them for $4 billion. Well, wow. and you know, they have tried lots of different things. They built a mobile app in the U in the U S which hasn't you know, done very well, but they still tried it. They built a point system in the U S which works pretty well. So yeah, it's nice to have a company that's probably a few steps ahead that you can build a roadmap on, but also yeah. you need to make sure that you're differentiating from them. And our main points of difference are that, you know, we've been in the UK market for longer, we have better relationships and our product just works better in the UK. Yeah, for sure.
0: I guess if you've been here, like, I, I feel like a lot of the value comes in, like your relationship with the brands, right? If you can, like, I can imagine if, if I was like, the, as a pouch user, you want pouch to be constantly hunting for the best deals from people i suppose like if you could build a relationship that gets you an extra five percent off than anyone
1: else like it's that's good exactly and now you know thanks to the acquisition of gsg who have their own content team in the uk negotiating those vouchers where we're able to put those into pouch so in terms of like if you think about it as a like a content loop the more good content we have in pouch the more users were able to acquire because that content is good, the more retailers were able to get on board because we've got more users, the more content we're able and discounts we're able to get. So that loop just keeps kind of spinning.
0: Yeah, it's like a continuous growth cycle that you need to keep pushing forward as a team. What are the other ways that you have used or tested for growing users and acquiring new users?
1: So we've actually gone quite hard into influencer marketing. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so the issue with pouch, not issue, but pouch is a desktop only product. So, you know, we don't do any paid advertising that's focused towards mobile, so you'll never see us advertising on Instagram or Twitter, but with something like YouTube, a lot of YouTube content is still work, is still watched on desktop rather than mobile. So we, yeah, find influencers that fit our target demographics, which is, you know, 18 to 45, or maybe 24 to 45 is more more of our target and yeah we've got some very nice integrations with them because it's a product just fits really really well in in into influence marketing it's like a very easy sell it's not complicated you can often find a brand that aligns with the youtuber's audience so if you're speaking to a fitness influencer do a my protein discount code if you're doing a fashion influencer do a boohoo discount code so okay. yeah that's like our probably main paid channel at the minute but our kind of Best performing channel is like referral traffic from Global Savings Group domain. So Global Savings Group run a lot of they run white label voucher code websites. So if you've ever seen Daily Mail's voucher code website, that's run as a white label with Global Savings Group, and we are able to drive traffic from those white labels to drive installs of Pouch. One, like the traffic volumes a lot, so you know it's like a high number of installs, and also because it's an internal channel, there's an opportunity cost, but it's like in a cash sense it's free so that's like uh you know in terms of you're saying you know why would one company buy another how can they help them grow we're acquiring tens of thousands of users a month through this referral loop so yeah very useful yeah i can see that yeah i think that makes a lot of sense as synergies between companies i
0: suppose like they can really drive your drive your increase in users
1: exactly yeah
0: um so how do they do that are you advertising Is like an advertising slot on their white label websites or do they say use this through pouch or
1: so kind of a as a as a placement so once someone has clicked and once someone has clicked on a voucher code from one of the voucher code sites a message comes up after saying hey want to apply all codes in one click and then there's a link that goes off to pouch okay that makes sense and do they do they do that for other people like would they ever work with say honey like would they no 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 just 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 for us internally yeah no they, they don't sell it as a they don't sell it as a like a marketing product it's just like a, you know, a way to use your resources to grow your other business lines. Okay, cool. I, I just wanted to like ask about the influencer
0: marketing a bit more, I guess. So you choose it based on the where the users are gonna be. Can you actually advertise based on only if they're on desktop or is it just going for the channel?
1: No, we can't. It's just that YouTube uh, videos as a channel, um, they're still quite a high proportion that's watched on desktop. So sometimes the influencer video gets 100,000 views And we'll get like quite low conversions. Other times they'll get hundred thousand views to get quite high conversions, like a lot of experimenting and running enough campaigns that you hope one performs at a really, really good CPA to make up for the ones who perform at a very poor CPA. Mm -hmm. And yeah, like we have a great agency we work with and they put influencers in front of us that have a high UK audience and whose YouTube demographics kind of match ours. If we like how they present, then we'll usually give them a go we find that no matter how big the channel is, the strength of the presenter is the main thing that drives us. Like how able are they as a communicator? Yeah, that's massive for us. It's an integration. So at the start of the video, they say this is sponsored by Pouch. And then, you know, within the first four minutes of the video, they say, usually in a way that suits it, like in a funny way or however their audience will best react to it. We, they, you know, integrate Pouch into their video. So we've, (laughs) we've worked a lot with like, basically car mechanics that have a big youtube following that like wrap their cars in fancy paint or show you how to do oil changes and things like that and some of them like have a huge huge following like people that are into you know car mechanics there's you know a vertical for everything yeah. and they you know will show them changing a tire or fitting a new piece of equipment and say hey if you're thinking of doing this for yourself well you should install pouch because pouch will help you save on loads of money on sites where you can buy car parts from here's an example of me saving money on euro car parts using pouch it's free to install there's a link in my description you should definitely check it out like so quite a natural integration that just fits really well
0: that's cool the internet's kind of a crazy place at the moment isn't it it's just like content creators doing anything and everything
1: yeah sometimes when i'm like watching these videos i'm like i can't believe this is my job but you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go from studying accounting exams to buying boxes of donuts for people to watching car mechanics on YouTube. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How long were you an accountant for? Uh, so I did three and a half years at UI, uh, basically the length it takes to qualify okay. and left to do pouch straight away.
0: Nice. Okay. So did you just kind of realize that you weren't really suited to that life? Were you more of a startup kind of person or did you just have one, like one of those ideas that you're like, we've just got to go
1: and do this part of just like impatience to have you know have an idea and give it a go part of it saying like I've always like I'm not going to say I've been like a wheeler dealer which be entrepreneurial but always been like like the idea of starting something for myself Mm -hmm. and thought the younger the better like I've got this qualification my my tastes in life are pretty simple like I'm not that materialistic so I was like I don't really need money at 25 like I just like to have like a beer occasionally and go away. Like sometimes like, I'm sure I'll be able to figure out a way to make enough money to do that. Like, let's just start it now. Um, thinking that, you know, if it only, if it only lasts six months, great. It's a great experience to have on my CV for my next job. But you know, we started it and then we raised some money and then we went to dragons then and then we hired people and then it all, you know, became kind of as big as we wanted it to be. And then, you know, we got a chance to sell it. So yeah, it was just a case of start young when you've got like low, less opportunity cost. And um, and go from there.
0: Definitely. It's it's kind of a time when you're not reliant on a salary as well. It's not like you have kids or a mortgage, uh, that kind of thing. Like the opportunity cost, as you said, is a lot lower.
1: It's difficult. And I think, like, not to get too philosophical on it, with social media and stuff, it becomes really, really hard because I feel you're always comparing yourself to other people. And, you know, everyone knows that Instagram is fake, right? But it's difficult when you see your friends going on holidays our getting their you know first promotions I went I went from a case where I was on a decent salary to earning nothing for six months when people were going you know my age that I went to uni with that were on their second promotion some people even like buying homes and stuff like that so yeah. it was like quite tough but then you just got to realize like what are you doing it for and my focus on pouch was never about I need to make some money from this it was I will do this until the learning stops because that's like why I'm here and there were points where I thought you know we're struggling so much and, uh, you know, maybe we should, you know, throw in the towel, but I fundamentally believed in what we were doing and that there's always another opportunity around the corner. So yeah, fortunately that opportunity led to an acquisition, which is, I appreciate is very rare for a first time founder, but yeah, nice to beat the odds.
0: And you just had someone come along at the right time who is the right fit for you, I guess. In case of
1: how the acquisition happened, we, so I, I mentioned that we weren't really in a place for VCs to invest in us in terms of our, like, metrics besides the whole, you know, CLTV calculations and all the rest. We weren't really making enough money to to keep them interested, but we started like a big corporate partnership with news UK. So news UK who owned the sun and the times they ran something called the news UK lab where they were looking at companies that they could grow with their assets, but could also deliver them revenue and all focused on the theme of saving their users money. So Mm -hmm. we were like a perfect fit. The idea was that they were going to invest in the business. We were going to build a Sun, the Sun, like whatever the brand would be version of Pouch that they would promote to the Sun users. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, they would grow us by mentioning Pouch or the Sun extension all over the you know, digital media. Mm-hmm. Effectively, like we, we did a three-month kind of trial with them and everything was good to go. Apart from they just didn't have the decision-making power to say, yeah, let's actually invest in a startup. Like they, th- there were three companies in our position, like in this lab and all three of us got kind of told a week before signing papers that it was a no, that they needed six more months to make a decision. We were like, why? They said, it's just how it is. So yeah, that was really, really tough because you know, it'd been told yes, the whole way through, they're going to make an investment in us. And then to be told, no, right. The death was really, really, really hard, but it worked out well because Daily Mail saw what we were doing with the sun because of a press release. Again, the power of PR. Daily Mail wanted their own white label browser extension, contacted Global Savings Group who run their white label vouch code websites and said, hey, can we do something like this? And then Global Savings Group effectively met us and very quickly we agreed on like an acquisition that would mean that they can grow Pouch and we can build the Daily Mail white label extension.
0: So did you walk away from the deal? Like They said we need another six months and you were like, no, we can't do that.
1: We were, yeah, we were like, well, we're we a startup, like funding it. We're, you know, we never have more than six months of runaway. Like, we can't do this. So, uh, they actually gave us like a media uh, spend to make up for it. So, look, they 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 screwed us. There's no way about it. Like, they said yes the whole time, and then at the last minute they said no. So, mm-hmm. they gave us like 250 grand worth of media spend on their website. So, effectively, that's mm-hmm. like if we were an external partner buying media spend from them, it was like. 250 grand of credit effectively Mm -hmm. but then after the deal with gsg happened like you know we never we never spend that in the end because they they would just be promoting a product that's you know going to help their competitor but yeah it was super super tough for that for for that to happen
0: i was gonna ask about that so you didn't actually
1: spend the the 250k Uh, we started spending it but then once we you know these companies are incredibly slow and also why would they prioritize they basically kept deprioritizing our articles for people that were actually paying cash. Yeah. So if we were like, yeah, we want to book the homepage of the sun for 50 grand of our credit. When someone came along that actually wanted to pay 50 grand of cash, they would be like, sorry, not this month. And then we'd have to start the whole process again. So it was arduous and frustrating. Yeah. What a nightmare. So last question, I think yeah.
0: How, what's been the biggest change for you now working from being like the founder to now being underneath the umbrella of, of global
1: savings group being able to focus like focus on user growth focus on you know merchant relationships not having to worry about like paying people's salary at the end of the month is massive not Mm -hmm. having to worry about your next funding round it just allowed me personally to just focus more on growing the actual product and not having to worry about all the other kind of very important but very distracting stuff of running your own company we've grown like 150 percent user users just in the last six to eight months our revenue growth has been i think july to july will be close to 200 percent so is that all global savings group kind of help so they've given us you know the referral installs that i mentioned before have been a massive help in scaling us up introductions to advertisers have been you know really really useful the content the content operations they have so like in terms of like synergies it's been a huge help and then also they've provided us like a marketing budget to actually grow pouch itself so yeah like it just smiles all around really and I guess like my favorite thing is that they bought us for the people in the team as well and we still have a huge degree of autonomy because you know effectively we, were, we are the experts in, in growing and building an extension so you know uh, Ben's not at GSG anymore but Vic and I are still there and um, you, you know, it's still us leading the team and with the help of like a, a new kind of leader from, from GSG called Alex, we are still like very much in all the nitty gritty day to day, but you know, it's nitty gritty, but it's, it's like important growth stuff. Not just like we need a new office. Do you still feel as invested as if it was all your success relies on it? Different type of investment, you know, they paid money for the business and we want to show, we want to show them they made a good decision. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I guess it's just in my nature to try hard. Um, I wouldn't be one to just feel like oh we sold the business like let shirk. And also they're like a high growth rocket internet back startup. If we weren't pulling our weight, you know, we wouldn't last either. So, yeah, I, I'm 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 still invested. Like I I do think you know I I will definitely start another business one day. But for you know for now it's 18 months since we were required. Things are going well, and you know in terms of what people look at in terms of you know a day job. Are you getting satisfaction from your work? Yes. Do you feel compensated? Yes. Do you, you know, enjoy coming in every day? Yes. So like it's uh, a good Mm -hmm. position to be in right now. No reason to, no reason to leave at the moment. Yeah, I think like I I do get asked the question a lot, like when you're starting your next thing, when you're starting your next thing, and like, you know, I will do it eventually, but for now, I'm learning a huge amount and it and and enjoying it and you know, doing Mm -hmm. okay. So yeah, yeah, I think it would be a bit rash and impatient of me to say, no, I need to leave but it's it's good. I think there's also a degree though that you know you can't wait for that idea to come you've got to like nurture it if you think there's something cool that's that's going on I mean whilst I left UI to go full-time on Pouch only in Jan 2017 we were discussing Pouch from mid-2015 so it took 18 months to actually be in a position to be full-time yeah don't often see that when people launch how long they were discussing it for before or working on it before yeah the amount of sort of business ideas i've been discussing with people for ages and it just fizzles out and i think yeah yeah for sure but you've got to have those you've got to have you know you've got to have those fizzlers to to think actually maybe this idea isn't fizzling it's got some legs let's let's do something i guess i guess the hardest thing for for us when we started was actually just like taking the leap of faith to start with hindsight it's easy for me to say oh you know the opportunity cost wasn't that high it's better take risk when you're younger but when you're like in that moment to actually hand in your notice that your safe corporate job is not easy it's easy for me to say it now but it definitely wasn't at the time well thank you very much for, for coming on it's been great talking to you and hearing your story Ben, thanks so much for having me really enjoyed enjoyed sharing it
0: that was a great podcast thank you for listening um, if you don't already come follow me on linkedin come follow us on instagram and linkedin um, we share insights on all those channels that we don't share on this podcast. Um, on the website as well, thefuck.com, um, we have an RSS feed and an email uh, that goes out weekly that you can subscribe to and you get a little bit of extra insight and a summary of the insight that goes into these podcasts. Um, next week, we've got a really exciting guest, um, and uh, a guy called Louis Grenier, who for those of you who don't know, is the founder of a podcast called everyone hates marketers he's interviewed all of the big names in marketing um, and i'm super excited to have him on here um yeah you couldn't ask for a better guest really so look forward to that one stay tuned thank you